Hey, it's your boy JC. Welcome to Dream 10X episode 47. Wow, 47? What's your name? You gotta introduce yourself. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> I am Dr. Capel. And we're here with episode 47 of Dream 10X, and today we are talking about the book uh, Am I Being Too Subtle by Sam Zell. Recently read this book. I found out about Sam Zell listening to Tim Ferriss podcast. Uh, he had him on his podcast and he interviewed him and I thought it was really interesting. So I wanted to find out more about who Sam Zell was. So I read his book and just wanted to tell you a little bit about the top 10 things that I learned about Sam Zell from reading this book. But before we get into that, we are standing in our new studio. It's not really a studio. We're just outside with our uh, boat. This is a gunning dory that we bought from the Chesapeake Bay Maritime Museum, CBMM. Uh, you can find them cbmm.org and a uh, really cool place they've got all kinds of different boats but this boat was built uh, I think in 1978 and it's an old gunning dory it's four years younger than me <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to talk about how much younger it is than me but um, it's in a state of repair right now that needs to be or disrepair it needs to be fixed up but the reason we're going to work on this boat is because we want to do the race to Alaska next year. And that race is basically a human powered or a no power, no, what? No, no motors. No motors. So you can sail, stand up paddle, row. Right. And uh, we plan on rowing and sailing in that event. Hopefully, I mean, if everything goes well, uh, we have so much going on, but uh, one of the things we want to do is uh, fix this boat up and get it ready for the race next year, which will be next next June. So it's about ready to, to kick off this year. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we weren't anywhere prepared for it this year, but hopefully we're gonna get our mindset and our gear and everything ready to go next year. We have a perfect birthday present for me. And, uh, yeah, happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we're planning on going with our friend, Jason Bunger. And so Yay! this boat can be sailed and it can be rowed. And so Cindy and I are planning on being the rowers and hopefully Jason um, will be the, uh, the expert sail, what do you call him, expert sailor? <laughs> sailor. Yeah, so uh, we have a lot of work to get ready for that. But basically the race is from uh, Port Townsend, Washington, 750 miles up the uh, uh, British Columbia Canadian coast up to Ketchikan, Alaska. Uh, and you can go the inside passage if you want to be kind of safe, or you can go on the outside if you want and, and, and risk it on the wild Pacific Ocean. What are we doing? Uh, we're going to go on the inside uh, <laughs> and play, play it as safe as possible. It's a long way, 750 miles is a long way. Anyway, that's what we're planning on doing next year. We thought it'd be fun to come out and stand by the boat and do this podcast, so that's why we're here. So the top 10 things that I learned from Sam Zell. The first, first thing I learned was that Sam... Sam's family is Polish and hmm. they lived, they initially lived in Poland. Uh, so then World War II breaks out, you know, and Poland's a bad place to be, especially during World War II, because, uh, you know, the, the German blitzkrieg into Poland. And so his family, uh, his father kind of anticipated that event taking place when he heard about the non-aggression pact between Russia and Germany. Hmm. And he saw the writing on the wall and we're going to talk about that predicted prediction Predi pa power of prediction in our next podcast mm. when we talk about on intelligence uh written by jeff hawkins but his father you know saw the writing on the wall when he when he learned about that non-aggression pact between russia 
uh, Russia and Germany mm -hmm. and anticipated that the two were going to squeeze Poland and you know, go for a land grab there. So his father um, very smartly made the determination that, you know, right then and there, he was going to try to get the family out of Poland. Smart. And so he was able to figure that out. Uh, he moved some money to Israel and had some money moved to uh, the United States. And apparently at the time in Poland, it was illegal to uh, wire money outside of the country. Oh, so wow. So he figured that out. Uh, also, his mom sewed jewelry into her clothing. So she would have some kind of uh, means for currency exchange. Smart. Once they got out of the country. And um, so getting out was tricky. Uh, and I'm just fascinated by the story because so much stress and pain occurred during World War II that we can't, Americans can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. Ukraine right now is going through similar situations, but uh, the stress of having to move your whole family out of the country that you grew up in, your ancestors grew up in, to find safe haven somewhere, I, it's, I can't even fathom mm -hmm. what that's like. But. Um, Anyway, I, I think about that a lot and being prepared because you never know when something like that's going to happen. It's but, true. but they 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 figured a way out. They tried to talk their family into leaving Poland as well, but most of the members of their family did not want to leave. Obviously, I mean it's it's a hard transition to make, even in the light of, of war and invasion. Um, but uh, the Sam's core family, his mom and dad, um, were able to. S to find a way out of Poland, they had to go out through Lithuania. Mm -hmm. And from Lithuania, they went into Russia and then Japan. And then from Japan, they came to the west coast of America. It took them 21 months to make that trek. That's incredible. And the only way they were able to pull that off is um, they got to Lithuania and they needed to get a visa before going any further to be able to get out of J Japan. Mm -hmm. And as fate would have it, luck would have it, they uh, ran into a Japanese consul, um, a Vilnius consul there. His name was uh, Shayun Sugihara. And he went against the Japanese rules at the mm. time and stamped visas for as many uh, people as he could uh, who, were, who were fleeing Poland and wanted to, to, to get out of Europe vis-a-vis -vis Japan. Incredible. And so uh, thousands of, of Jews escaped Poland because of this guy, this guy Sh uh, Shayun Sugihara. And they're known as the Sugihara survivors. Wow. And uh, Sam Zell actually went back to meet him after, uh, after all this as a young adult. And, and uh, apparently he, this man was a member of the uh, sh Shogun? Samurai. Samurai mm. family. And apparently samurai have a tradition of helping people, mm -hmm. regardless if they're your enemy. If you're in need and you need help, that's in their tradition to help, help people. And so that was really um, a key, uh, that was imprinted on his family that, sure. you know, that, that's allowed them to survive. Um, so that, I thought that was just so fascinating. 21 months to get out, mm -hmm. uh, get over to the west coast of America. The rest of their fa family, save for a brother and a sister on his mom's side, perished in the war. Mm. So uh, the foresight of his father to get them out, uh, you know, saved the family essentially. Yeah. So, uh, so that was really, really fascinating. So he comes to America. His family comes to America. They're on the West Coast. They moved to Chicago. 
and he's born two to four four months later. He's born. Whoa! <laughs> so somewhere along the trip. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, twenty-one months. Yeah. How? <laughs> that's all that stress. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> Somehow. How does that happen? I wouldn't know. <laughs> A lot of kissing on that trip, I guess. Uh, <laughs> we digress. Grows up in Chicago. Loves Chicago. You you like Chicago? I love right? Chicago. I don't like Chicago at all. Sorry to say. At least the times I've been there. But so he loves Chicago. Um, loves the city. Mm-hmm. Loves all the stuff that's happening. And uh, I guess he picks up a lot on the wheel wheeling and dealing that's going on mm-hmm. on the streets there. Uh, so number two, uh, that was kind of the family background. Number one. Number two. Uh, things that kind of made Sam who he is is his tr- his uh, Jewish upbringing. He uh, went to school uh, in Chicago at a traditional Hebrew school. Um, two Jewish principles he shares in the book that help shape who he is. Mm-hmm. One is Shem Tov, uh, Shem Tov, Shem Tov. I don't know exact pronunciation there, but um, that's that is your reputation. And reputation is very important as, as a business person. Uh, you hear Warren Buffett talk about your repu- yeah. reputation being the single most important aspect of being a business professional. And so he just kind of reiterates that. You do what you say you're going to do. You're trustworthy. Uh, your handshake is your word kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I am who I say I am. Uh, the other Jewish principle is Zedaka. I hope I'm saying these right. Um, Mike, help us out. <laughs> <laughs> but that means righteousness, kindness, giving to others. And, and that was uh, a, a phrase he associated with Shion Sugihara mm-hmm. helping, him, helping his family get out of uh, Lithuania and, mm-hmm. and Japan. Wow. A, uh, just helping your fellow mankind there. Uh, so those are two important principles that help shape who he became as a business person. Number three, uh, in chapter two of the book, uh, it's titled Start by Being Audacious. I thought this was a really important uh, chapter to see kind of how he evolved as a business person growing up. And so he's in college and, um, you know, I guess he's doing well in his grades, but the thing that he gravitates to is is doing business deals. And um, he has a roommate who uh, is aware of his landlord's uh, buying some more rental property. And so Sam gets the idea, hey, let's pitch your landlord mm-hmm. on being property managers for that, that property. Just just to see what would happen. You know? Cool. Be audacious, just try it and see what happens. And, sure, and he didn't have any experience managing properties or anything, yeah. but he's like, let's just do that. So it's about taking the risk and... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, he does that, and the property manager says, "Sure, you guys, I'll take a, I'll take a risk on on you guys and see how you do." And so one of the first things they did was uh, the furniture in this apartment buildings. It was for students. It was you know student um, housing. The, apparently, the furniture was like for normal adult people mm-hmm. and he realized that the kids would not like it so they got rid of all of the furniture and they made it like a trendy young hip for I don't know what that looks like but uh, apparently made it more appealing to the students there it became more popular and um, so the landlord did great and then the landlord bought two more properties and they got deals to manage those properties as nice. well. so all of a sudden between his junior and senior year he started, he's got a company a property management company yeah now. so he's doing well 
Uh, he also learns the art of the upsell here. He starts selling other things uh, to his frat fraternity, like uh, something about a snake that he, a snake that they with a hat and I don't know some kind of thing that frat boys would want to give their girlfriends when they go out on dates. Just little stuffed animals and stuff. He's oh, I can't imagine a girl wanting a snake. Well, apparently stuffed animals. Especially like a sorority girl. <laughs> I, mean. I don't know. It was some kind of happy snake. I don't know. But anyway. <laughs> Whatever. Maybe she does want that. <laughs> it was an upsell. He's doing an upsell. That's the point. So then in between his junior and senior year, he works for Helene Curtis, which is a, what is that? Um, a cosmetics company. And he, he says he didn't, in retrospect, he wasn't working there to make money. He was learning there. He was working there to learn how to get rejected. So oh, got a, fascinating. Got a lot of rejection. And he learned how to deal with that rejection. He said that was a very viable learning experience. Yeah, I there. can imagine. So that was number three, um, working, uh, kind of growing up and in, in learning his entrepreneur chops there in, in college. Um, and so basically when he graduates, he's, you know, he's coming into his own as a businessman. Mm -hmm. he's, he's figured out how to make money. He's figured out how to get people to give him money. And that's really important. That's you, know, huge. you get that feeling. You're like, okay. So then he goes to the University of Michigan Law School goes up to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and from there, he starts buying up entire blocks of properties, mm. like entire blocks, uh, houses on, a, on an entire block. And one of the key aspects there is that uh, the real estate he's buying is co-located. And that's smart, because if you're buying houses all over a city or in remote places, that gets really hard to manage. But if you buy properties on the same block, you got one location to go to. So that, that was really smart, I thought. Yeah. What he figured out there in law school was that um, he developed an investment thesis, and his thesis was that um, he's going to go from from that point. Once he gets out of law school, he's going to go to uh, less developed areas of the country in college towns and buy college r rental Smart. properties and and scale that way. Yeah. Um, so, because he had great success there in Ann Arbor, so mm -hmm. his next thought was, okay, I'm going to go back to Chicago and find some college areas and start buying investment properties there and kind of do the same thing. Hmm. So that was really important that he developed a thesis that he was going to develop in order to scale his income. Yeah. So at that point, after when he graduated from law school, he's already a millionaire. Gosh, can you imagine? He had $250,000 in the bank. He made $150,000 that year, which in those dollars was a million over a million. Yeah. Not to mention the real estate that he, that he had acquired. So um, it's just kind of amazing to to realize that he was a really he was really good with money, really mm -hmm. good at uh, income, and he figured that out early on. And I can't even get my head around that because when I think about what I was going through in college, I was just trying to figure out how to survive. You know, shine, get my brass shine the right way and my shoes shine. You know, mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking about making money at all. I had no idea. And, same thing when I graduated. I had no idea, <laughs> but here, you know. So it's just good to see uh, other people and how they think mm -hmm. about in the same situation. How they think about money and finance and stuff. All right. So number five, he goes to back to Chicago, and because his parents wanted him to get a job, he starts looking for a, a job at various law firms. 
and uh, you know he, he has like even this though he's business. crushing it huh. in real estate yeah so that was also like ugh, trying to keep the family happy while you're, but yeah. you're being successful in other ways so there seems to be like a little inflexibility there between him and his parents or, or they just didn't have the realization that he could do something on his own yeah they need, you know they that I guess that mentality that you need to be working for somebody else to, to have an income. So, so he goes and interviews with a bunch of law firms. Uh, nobody will take him because they realize, oh, he's he's a wheeler dealer. He's yeah. just going to come in here and you know wheel and deal all the time. Um, so he has a lot, a lot of trouble with that. But then he gets hired by a law firm who wa- actually want him to lo- to wheel and deal. Mm. But then um, he gets in there and does better than all the attorneys who are doing legal stuff because mm-hmm. he gets in and is just doing like <laughs> wheeling a dealing of real estate and they kind of get jealous and it doesn't work out. Um, but he, he meets a, uh, a mentor and a friend at that time called Jay Pritzker uh, whose family founded the Hyatt Hotel chain. And so that was an instrumental, he was, Jay Pritzker apparently was instrumental in helping him think about bigger real estate deals uh, and doing okay. even, you know, bigger things, helping, improving his big think. And so that was a, another critical turning point in his professional career. Um, number six, he mentions a book that I bought, um, looking to read, uh, uh, Zeckendorf, the autobiography of the man who played a real life game of Monopoly and won the largest real estate empire in history. So, wow. uh, I, I like that reference. I look forward to reading that. Number seven, um, it was interesting to hear about his relationship with his partner, Bob Laurie, who he brought brought into the, the company that he founded after kind of, you know, deciding he wasn't going to do law full time. He was going to form his own uh, real estate investment company. Bob Laurie uh, did not come as come on as an equal partner, but he allowed him to build up equity in the company mm. over time and so eventually they became equal partners uh, i thought that was interesting another interesting thing was how casual the work environment was and how he and he espoused a very casual work environment in his that. company and how he encouraged authentic self for all of his employees that's in, brilliant a environment um so and yeah. this was like way ahead of its time like yeah 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 because yeah. he's like you know, this is 70s, 80s. Yeah. Everybody is very buttoned up tight in corporate America at that time. And so, but he was like, yeah, his partner wore a big belt buckle and jeans and stuff. And so, uh, but they were making money, so they didn't mm-hmm. care they didn't how care. they dressed, yeah. you know? Uh, number eight, um, some of his comments about being an entrepreneur. He said, uh, business is basically about managing risk and understanding supply and demand, supply and demand, fundamentals. Um, if you're, if you got a big upside and small downside, do the deal. I mean, yeah, that's good to know. Opportunities uh, are very often embedded in the imbalance between supply and demand. It could be rising demand against flat or diminishing supply or mm. flat demand against shrinking supply. Um, number nine, uh, he doesn't like business competition. So I thought that was hmm. interesting because in our review of uh, Blue Ocean Strategy, yeah, that's where my head just went. same thing. Yeah. Like, it commends businesses to try to do business without as much competition as possible. Mm-hmm. Really and found he, that niche market. Yeah, he's the exact same, same way in his thinking. He says, frankly, there's no substitute for limited competition. You can be a genius, but if there's a lot of competition, it won't matter. Yep. And then he says also, uh, I jokingly tell people that competition is great for you. 
Me, I'd rather have a natural monopoly, and if I can get that, I'll take an oligopoly. Um, so, love that. Uh, thoughts on, you don't want competition in your business. Number 10, uh, finally, he built uh, equity office into the largest REIT um, in the country. He spent 10 years acquiring quality office spaces across the country, and uh, he, was, he was very proud of what he built. Uh, he called it his baby. Um, took that company public, and so, uh, you know, I'm thinking, okay, how does one become a billionaire? Well, it's easy, right, on the face of it. The pattern is easy. You start a company from scratch, mm -hmm. and you take it public. You're probably going to become a billionaire. <laughs> Devils in the details there, obviously, but um, that's how you become a billionaire, and that's what he did. And um, then, if you can manage to sell that company to an even bigger company Ooh. for even more money, then bonus right yeah. and so that's exactly what he did and enter blackstone group and we we learned about blackstone when we read Schwarzman's book yeah. what it takes and we talked about that one in episode 15 uh and one of the i thought when i read that when i read Schwarzman's book um it was interesting to note um it, the performance of john gray coming up through that company and for some reason john gray just really fascinated me because uh, he was one really really young worked in uh, Schwartzman's company and I, I think the quote that came from Schwartzman's uh, when he says that um, business leaders are not born they're made mm -hmm. uh, I think he was thinking about how well Gray was doing in his organization but anyway turns out John Gray is the one who did the deal for Blackstone to purchase equity office Sam Zell's equity mm -hmm. office, and uh, he made it. Got he's the one who arranged the Godfather deal that made it to where uh, Sam was was willing to uh, willing and able, you know, his fiduciary responsibility to his shareholders, willing and able to sh to sell his company to Blackstone, which is an Incredible. even bigger fish. Yeah, made a ton of money in that that exchange as well. So fascinating life of Sam Zell and his family, and. Um, learned a little bit about what it takes to be a billionaire and how to get there. And uh, I, I really also enjoy the fact that uh, he, he explicitly states that you can become extremely wealthy by living within, by having ethical principles. You don't mm. have to be a criminal or have, you know, walk a gray line uh, in, in your morals and ethics to become very wealthy. That's huge. And uh, I, it sounds like he, lived his, his, he has lived his professional life being extremely ethical, uh, being guided by core principles that brought him up through his youth and became extremely successful. And so it's a, he's a, a great role model of study. Rule number one, be excellent to each other. Phil and Ted. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks for watching this episode. We'll talk to you next time.